Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie with our weekly podcast here. Hope everyone's doing fine. You had a great week. It's a really interesting week that we have here today. We are talking about something that all of us have, whether we're aware of it or not. And I think the most important thing to talk about today for me, from what I see as a psychiatrist, as a doctor, also as a human being and a dad, is that anxiety comes in so many different forms. And all of my patients that I see that have an issue with anxiety come to me and they have no idea that that's what the issue is. And it's so funny because it comes up in so many various different forms. And that's what I want to talk about today, dealing and living without worry and handling anxiety, knowing what it is. Where does it come from? How do you prevent it from running your life and then ruining your life at times? So it's a really pervasive and interesting issue. And it's an odd kind of feeling in many different ways. So we're going to be talking about what is anxiety? Where does it come from? How do I keep it from my children if I'm a parent and, and it's not all over the family and I'm a mess, basically, because I can't get it together? How do I deal with it if it interferes with my sleep? So many people say, I can't turn my brain off at night, and they have no idea that it's anxiety that is driving their brain. So stay tuned, one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. We're going to have a great guest expert on today to help us talk about anxiety. She's done a lot of work with it, and she will be able to answer questions and educate us because that's the key. Education is the power over all of these issues. one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. So joining me now is Tamar Chansky. She is our anxiety expert. She's going to talk to us today about all different ways to look at anxiety, explain it to us, talk to some of our listeners, listen to some of our voicemails, and answer some of the questions. But Tamar, I want to talk a little bit about her. She's a uh, licensed psychologist. She's the founder and the director of the Children's and Adult Center for OCD and Anxiety in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. I grew up around there. Dr. Chansky is also the author of numerous popular books on an overcoming, on learning how to overcome anxiety and negative thinking, freeing your child from anxiety, freeing your child from negative thinking, and freeing your child from OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. She'll tell you all the stuff that she's done. She's been in a million publications, and I can't wait to talk to her. Tamar, are you with us? Yes. Hi. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good. Good. How are you today? I'm good. You're a Philadelphian? Yes. Me so too. You, you grew up around... Oh, you really are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Neat. I went, to, I went to St. Joe's. Okay. And yeah. I went to med school there, did all my training there. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I'd King of Prussia. There. Yeah, that's great. Is it snowing there yet? <laughs> <laughs> did, did, you, did you see that storm last night? I did. <laughs> I'm really happy that we have electricity today. I'm sure. <laughs> Wasn't <Me too>. sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy back there, but my family's still back there. I love it, but only to visit. I see. Okay. Do you ever get out here? <laughs> Wait, now, you're you're on the West Coast, but yes. I don't know where you are. Los Angeles. Oh, sure. Yeah. Great out there. Very nice. So we're going to talk about anxiety today. Do you have any? I, I tell my patients, I, I work with kids with anxiety and adults with anxiety, and I always say, you know, anxiety can land anywhere. You know, I've got kids who are afraid of dogs, kids who love dogs, kids who are afraid of playing sports, kids who, you know, love doing that. So my anxiety has been about cooking. 
Ah. And I've really, <laughs> I really had to free myself from my own anxiety. It's all about how you talk to yourself. It why, really is. Why is it around cooking for you? Because I, you know, it's the classic story. I avoided cooking for so long. I have a hus- wonderful husband who is a really good cook. Um, and But I just, you know, need to, to share the, the load there. Yeah. Avoided it for so long that I had built up all of these, you know, Perception. ideas about not being able to do it. And when, you know, so you just, the more you avoid, of course, the more frightening things seem. And then when you start to you know, approach a situation, then you see, oh, wow, I'm really not, it's not as bad as I thought. Exactly. So that tells, that leads me into like, what is it that creates the actual feeling of anxiety? You know, it's, it is such a a sort of perfect uh, collaboration between the mind and the body that, um, and, and one part starts it, you know, often it's the mind where we just, we have a thought of threat or danger, something being um, something that we, we can't manage. And then instantly the body shifts into fight or flight mode because we were built in a time when the things uh, you know we couldn't manage were really life-threatening. It wasn't that I would burn the dinner. It was I would be dinner. You know, I right, would be right. eaten by a tiger or something. And so we're just working with those uh, sort of ancient... Uh, circuits and, and uh, programs, and so we start to immediately feel like we're, you know, ready to, we, we could run, we could run a marathon, but that's not what we're thinking. What we're thinking is, what's going on in my body? Why is my heart racing? Why am I feeling so hot? Why are my arms feeling tingly? It all makes sense if you think about the tiger. It just, it doesn't make sense when you're sitting in a board meeting or, you know, on a date or something like that. But just because the mind can't distinguish between those two situations, you know, the brain is sort of automatically shifting in that mode, right. we, we can make that distinction, though, and say, you know, that's my anxiety, that's my worry, that's not what's happening in my life. Okay, so I have some questions for you then. So are you saying that it's as simple, which you might, it may be, that you have a thought that triggers a physical response which is the heart rate or the sweating or the or whatever that it's perceived as. And that thought, when you understand it, is able to then be contained, which therefore then contains the body's response? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's good to put it simply. Of course, in action, it takes practice. Um, but that if we, if we leave that thought unchecked, then we know what happens. We get more and more anxious when we can... Address it at what we you know what the real situation is, what's actually happening. Then we come up with a different thought. Oh, you know, I just I always feel I always feel this way at first, but you know this is okay. They don't really hate me. They you know they're just trying to ask questions about the presentation. You know whatever it is. Okay, and that lowers the anxiety, which lowers the body's response. Right. Now, you know, just a, a little asterisk there so people don't say, well, wait a minute, that person said that it would stop my body's reaction and it didn't happen right away. Right, because that's another what I was going to say. Yeah, another way we're built. So we're built to shift into fight or flight mode right away. But we take longer to shift out of it. Again, you know, just built for survival, just in case the tiger was still around the corner. We don't, you know, it's not like turning the ignition off. It, it's right. more like it, it downshifts gradually. So it lingers for a little while. Yeah. 
Okay. And so is there a part of your brain then or our brain that produces whatever to give the body that response? I mean, how does it actually biochemically and physiologically transfer into a physical manifestation? Yeah. Well, the way I think about it uh, is that there is this internal alarm system, the part of the brain that that we could, uh, you know, tag with with that uh, title is called the amygdala, and that starts the reaction. It's it's you know on twenty four seven, and if there's any sign of danger, the amygdala will light up and and uh, communicate with all the different systems in the body to get us mobilized to either run for our lives or or fight for our lives. Okay, and so can you inherit? A overactive amygdala. Yes, um, I with a caveat, you know. Yes, peop, you know there is a genetic predisposition for anxiety, but just keeping in mind that it's so much more complicated than that one gene. Um, you know, it's it's sort of a, a symphony or a combination of many factors. And also, you know, I know that you're really devoted to the cause of uh, mental health and improving mental health in children. That you know, for folks to know that anxiety disorders are the most treatable condition, most treatable psychiatric condition. So whether you're talking about your your child who you're worrying, you know, does this mean my child's going to have a terrible life because they have anxiety now? Or you're thinking about yourself, you know, I guess there's no hope for me because I just have this genetic predisposition. Nothing could be further from the truth because we really have great effective ways of treating anxiety. And they work. And they work. And they're not always a pill in a bottle. Right. Sometimes a, a pill in a bottle can be a, a helpful adjunct for, for people. Um, and uh, this is, you know, this what we're talking about here, really looking at those thoughts, checking them, um, you know, coming up with a more rational interpretation of the situation, that's loosely is called cognitive behavior therapy. Right. Um, so and the behavioral part is, after you check those thoughts, sort of like me with the with the cooking, you know, I need to calm myself down about this, not be anticipating that it's going to be a disaster. But then that's not enough. I actually have to get in the kitchen to see that and it that it works. You have so, to prove it you know, to yourself. That's the behavioral part is right, it's kind of taking the show on the road. Okay, so it, it's a multi-part process. Right. But and you have to repeat it until you're you're physical and your mental state then kind of master it. Yeah, you know, we repeat till till we feel a sense of mastery, but on the inside what's what's really wonderful and kind of uh, helping us be successful is this idea that the brain is is very adaptive and will learn new tricks. And right. so if we are, you know, responding with rational thinking or breathing when we go into an anxious situation, that very good coping response comes to us more quickly so we don't have to work so hard to find it. And then actually over time we feel less anxious even approaching that situation. So it's just the whole kind of schema or uh, picture of of what that uh, experience means really becomes something else. Got it. Okay. So... You know, like I have a lot of patients, young kids, parents bring them to me because they're stuck in the bedroom in the morning, can't get out of the room because they got to do their rituals and their thinking. So they think if they, you know, 
tie their shoe a certain way or they walk back and forth a certain way, you know, all of those kinds of compulsive things that they do are going to get them out of the door or have a better day or nothing bad will happen, etc. And you're saying then to our listeners that that's treatable in many different ways and a lot of it starts with replacing that thinking and talking to yourself and actually trying to get through the day without doing those things eventually. Right. Now, you're talking about a specific kind of anxiety, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and what, you know, the, the kind of cognitive and behavioral pieces for that would be um, understanding that where, where OCD comes from is, is a brain glitch that, you know, it's kind of, with OCD, it's a little, little bit different in that if we take uh, maybe someone who has generalized worry or even social anxiety, we could, most people could imagine what the fears would be in, in their minds because they're, they're pretty reality-based. You know, will I right. make a fool of myself or, right. you know, are people going to like me or something like that. And with OCD, it has a, another quality that, that just doesn't make sense. It can feel bizarre to, to the sufferer as well as the people who are watching. Around, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, I think of it as, uh, you know, this, kind of uh, superstition almost, that's not, you know, they're not wanting right, to exactly, think about it that exactly. way, but it's sort of a model that fits better than, yeah. you know, do, you know, tap 10 times and you'll get a good grade on the test. No, there's no, there's no logic there, but understanding that that's a brain glitch. Um, and then what do you need to do? You need to, little bit by little bit, change the ritual till you get to the point where you are not doing it and seeing that, you know, life <laughs> you know, you're not breaking your uh, mother's right, back right, when you step right. on the crack right, and life right, goes right. on. Yeah, and you, you kind of proved to yourself that it was just kind of a magical thinking. Mm-hmm. And how do you change that ritual then? You think of something else or what do you tell people? Well, you know, really with with kids or adults, it's about changing it in any way. So I, I say to people, you know, if you're ready to just do cold turkey and and not do that ritual at all, that's fine. But a perfectly good alternative is to break it down and and do less and less of it. Uh, you know, do it shorter, do it wrong, so to speak. Because a lot of times, people with rituals, it has to be. You know, you start with a, your right hand. You have your eyes right, closed right, or open. Right. You know, there, it just uh, gives so many different uh, variables that you can then change. So we just, yeah, we just and, and break basically, it down. and that's basically proving to yourself that it really has no meaning. Right. All right. right. Are you open to taking a call from a caller? Sure. All right. Mark? Hi. Hey, you're with uh, Dr. Sophie and Dr. Chansky. How can we help you? Yeah, I work for a company that's been doing a lot of downsizing lately, and I find myself having trouble falling asleep at night. Um, like, my mind's racing, and I just kind of start panicking. Is that new for you? A uh, couple months, maybe. And then do you have a hard time sleeping? Yeah. And do you have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep or both? Uh, both, really. All right. Dr. Chansky, you take it. Yeah. So, so Mark, I think what, what you're describing is something that, that so many people experience uh, when there is something real going on in your life that your company's downsizing. You know, you, you can say, well, I'm, you know, it's not my imagination. This is something that, that um, you know, potentially I'm facing but even when the risks are, are, are more real or, or more likely, 
it still does not help you to function to be in this mode of just thinking about it all the time and prepared for the worst. And so whether it's facing a, you know, a, a, a job situation that's uh, difficult or an illness, what I suggest that people do, and especially if they're having trouble sleeping at night, is to um, designate a worry time that's away from bedtime, that's maybe five minutes, where you're really going to focus on what the fears are and identify what they are. And if you can um, visualize kind of taking a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and on one side, write out what your fears are. And, and the fears are going to be about what's the worst thing that you can happen. That's just what fear sounds like for all of us. But then on the other page, what you do is you think about what do you really believe is going to happen and what, what can you do about it if it does? So it's like fantasy versus the reality. Right, because, you know, the other thing that fear does besides scare us <laughs> is it makes us feel that we have absolutely nothing to bring to the table to help ourselves. Right. It's that feeling right. of helplessness that, you know, it just really undermines our ability to function. And, you know, it, it would be very difficult if, you know, a layoff happened. But at the same time, we can be resilient. There are things we do. We don't just stop there. And anxiety will never tell us about that part of the story. Right. I mean, you know, look at the strengths of yourself and what is good about you, because those are the things that you need to learn who, what they are so that you can fall back on them at times like this. Because like, like Dr. Chansky said, they're not going to be apparent to you because fear shuts that stuff off. Right. So just one last thought, Mark, about that worry time idea is that you know, at other times of the day when worry comes to you, whether it's at night or, uh, you know, during the day, that you're just almost like if a child's asking for candy at 10 in the morning, you say yeah. it's, not, it's not time for that now, that you're going to train your brain, that you're going to say, you know, it's not, it's not time now. I'll speak to you at 7 o'clock. And if 7 o'clock rolls around and you really don't feel like doing your worry time, that's fine. You've delayed it and you've sort of, you know, uh, canceled it out and that's good, but if you, if you do, then that's the time. The other thing you can do is fold the paper in half that you've just worked on and have your kind of your strengths and resources side showing. And when you go to bed, that's the part that you look at if you're, you know, kind of worries coming back in and saying, you know, oh no. Then you, you read through what you figured out that you're able to do to help yourself. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think? It sounds like a a valuable kind of process. Do you exercise? Yes. Regularly? Yeah. And do you do it near bedtime or no? Uh, about 7 o'clock. Does that have a, any bearing, Dr. Chansky? Yeah, those are, those are good questions. It's great that you exercise. You know, the, the uh, positive effects of exercise on, on everything <laughs> yeah, know, can, right. cannot be, you know, they're really important, but I wonder uh, if you're thinking about if it's too close to kind of a wind-down time. Sometimes, yeah, maybe it's stirring you up. Yeah, sometimes folks will, will experiment with um, exercising at the end of their day, if their end of their day isn't 7 o'clock, right. um, just to, ha you know, let the adrenaline kind of wear, wear off and so you can, re you know, relax more before you go to bed. Yeah, I mean, really build a sleep routine where you kind of are able to relax, unwind, and do the things that you just learned with your paper and lists and all that so that you're not having endorphins, endorphins that are floating through your body keeping you awake. Because that's a great part of exercise, but that's also probably better earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. So, 
you're not going to be without a job and no matter what you got to believe those kinds of things those are the ways that you got to be able to support yourself it's just fear of the unknown right. so be strong we're here if you need us all right thank you all right thanks you could almost tell by his voice that he was really scared yeah, yeah. You know, if you're, you look at a, a scary picture, you're gonna, you're gonna feel scared if it's about your life. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of overlaying that. But you know, don't don't you think that if we look back at the hard things that we have gone through, that you know, we see just as you were pointing out what our strengths are. Of yeah, you, know, you we, got through. We were it. not hopefully helpless there. We, you know, we had so many things that we did to take care of a situation, and that's what we do. Um, so we got to know that just as much as, as knowing that risk does exist in life, but, but we're, you know, we're kind of ready for it. We don't have to practice for it. That's what worry is. It's just practicing over and over. When, when push comes to shove, if something happened, we, we would mobilize. We would take care of ourselves. We don't need to go through so many rehearsals. Absolutely. We've got to believe in ourselves. And, and our ba- past history is our best indicator of how well we can do it because you survive. Right. You may not survive to the level you want, but each time you do it and you learn, you get stronger and you survive better. Right. And and don't you think sometimes these adverse events, ultimately, you know, people will say as much as initially, it's it's not good and it's very difficult, that what what happens is sometimes they bring unexpected positive changes in your life, too. Unbelievably. No matter what, they always do on some level. Right. The other thing is I think it's important to say Many times, even though we can get rid of the fear reaction and we can change some of that thinking with, you know, CBT or whatever ways you replace thoughts with feelings, the issue also is sometimes that in parenting, you haven't gotten the supports or your self-esteem hasn't developed enough for you to believe in yourself. And sometimes that's also the work that has to be done. Do you ever see that piece of it? Sure. Yeah. That, I mean, I think one of the one of the tough things about parenting is that a lot of unless you have really good friends who are honest with you, you know, here you are feeling incompetent or worn out or frustrated and people around you are just saying how great everything is. Those Absolutely. are the people right. who are gonna right. really make your life hard. So somebody's gotta tell the truth. Parenting is the most amazing thing and it's a really hard job. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think each patient is different is the message and you know each treatment plan will be different so it may be just CBT it may be a little bit of medicine and therapy and CBT but I think you gotta look at all options and be able to understand that you will get past it it's it's not as bad as it feels and once you're out of it you look back it's in your rearview mirror and you're like whoa that wasn't that bad right but then the next one's coming <laughs> right alright you ready for another one sure alright Tracy Hi, how hey, are you? I'm good. How are you? It's Dr. Sophie and Dr. Chansky. We're talking about anxiety. Do you have any? I do, actually. Ah, I was um, I was diagnosed with um, with PTSD, and um, I thought for many years that I had um, a heart a heart condition. They've had me wear like the belt, and I have heart palpitations, and and um, but they said nothing's wrong with your heart. Then they, I thought, okay, well, it must be hormones because I had a hysterectomy. And um, all of my hormones and everything is okay. And then finally someone said, I think you have PTSD and put me on anti-anxiety medication. And it's working. Like, it's taking care of the heart palpitations and everything. But I'm scared to death that I'm going to get addicted to this medication. And I don't want to get 
in a position where I have to like take it long term. Do when you have PTSD, do you have to stay on the medication long term, or or what's the what's the end result? Well, that's a great question. I guess before I let Dr. Chansky take it away, are these meds something that you would have been on before, or do you think that PTSD is what triggered an anxiety reaction in your life, or do you genetically have it anyway, anxiety in your family, and you would have ended up on something? No, it's an event ah, okay. that happened. And so, but it's it's been quite, it's been about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And yeah. all this time, I thought I had a heart condition or my hormones, and that's the, the road that I had been going down. Got it, okay. Dr. Chansky, your turn. Okay. Yeah, Tracy. So you're you're asking really really good questions. The the treatment for we have very effective treatments for PTSD. But before I get to that, just understanding what what is happening there. That you know part of why your heart is racing and that kind of thing is that your your mind is replaying in some way, seeing reminders or something from a from a, a very frightening uh, time for you, and so it's acting as if it's happening right now when it when it isn't. And so the medicine's really helpful in just kind of normalizing what's going on in your body. But what the therapy can do is, you know, sometimes with PTSD, it's it's the, the most uh, simple message is so helpful and, and you just, it, it has to go very deep into your system, which is that what happened then is not happening now. And there are, you know, so that sounds very simple and, and you know, much, much harder to, to apply, but they're very effective therapies for reaching your, you know, sort of the, the program where that event was, um, you know, that, was input in in your mind um, to be able to help you to see that you survived it or you know you it's not happening now those kinds of things so that your body doesn't have to keep reacting to reminders as if it needs to protect you from yeah it now. I mean like are you getting any other treatments besides the meds well I tried EMDR yeah. and I had two sessions, and for some reason, it, like, caused things to, like, get worse. Yeah, that's the typical thing, isn't it, Dr. Chansky? I mean, it gets worse with the MDR and those kinds of things until it's like a, a wound that has to bleed for a while. But what do you think? Right, right. You know, it's so, it's so hard, Tracy, because any of us, you know, we're all, we're all the same in this way. If we'd had an experience like that um, with treatment, we, we may think, like, wait a minute, I, I came here to try to get better. What, right. You know, what, what this isn't right. Um, I wonder whether, you know, so, I mean, sometimes um, the, the treatment goes, goes too fast. Sometimes that is inevitable that it's, it's going to be that way. But like Dr. Sophie's saying that, you know, that's just a stop along the way. And if you had, you know, a few more sessions that you would, it's sort of like, you know that you you are on the right track there, but you have to finish the work. Yeah, I think. Um, it, but there are other, you know, there's EMDR. There are other cognitive behavior therapies where it's really what we call prolonged exposure, where you're you're um, it's kind of like when you're you hear a car alarm at first, you you jump or you know a, a fire uh, alarm or something, but you don't keep jumping. You desensitize to it, and so at the same uh, by the same token, when you have this prolonged exposure to some of the um, related uh, memories, that 
that you don't you don't keep jumping and you're able to to process that event in a way that at the time you couldn't process you just had to survive so these treatments with exposure whether it's EMDR or CBT gives you the opportunity to process what what would have been impossible for you to process at the time yeah and i think the more you stick with it honestly the less symptomatic it'll be but in the beginning i've noticed most patients really have a flare up for a while and either you increase your meds or whatever but get through that treatment because that's the, really the mainstay so you can then do what you want to do which is get off the meds and have a controlled life okay right. yeah that sounds like a good plan yeah. thank you so much you're welcome thanks for calling in thank you bye-bye bye very interesting because I see a lot of patients, I don't know about you, that end up really do having a flare-up in the beginning of either CBT, but especially EMDR, because I think mm -hmm. it really gets to the core and it starts to really come up. Right. It's, but, it's a very powerful treatment. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Very good. So um, tell me a little bit more about do you, when do you, and how do you pick treatments for, for people with anxiety disorders? How do you go down this path of what is the best thing for each patient? Right. Well, uh, CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, is is uh, the orientation that I that I take, but it's not a cookbook. Right. <laughs> so see, you're treating yourself by using that word. <laughs> Good point. I didn't, yeah. I didn't notice that. Um, so, really, depending on you know, for some people, it's going to be more that. You know, they'll come in and they say, you know, I know this is irrational. I know what I need to to do, or I know that I, you know, I, I can talk myself, you know, out of this, but I just I can't go and make those calls or you know go to the supermarket. And so for those people, they've already done some of the work where they they've done the cognitive piece, and they really need help to break down this. Uh, exposure of doing the behavioral part just a little bit at a time. It's it's so interesting how I think we just all are very ambitious in our minds about how change is supposed to happen, or we just we want it to happen yeah. very quickly. Am ambitious or impatient? Impatient, right? Uh, that's that's a better word. So, you know, sometimes just when I've uh, you know someone has a driving phobia or they're having difficulty you know going to the supermarket and we'll start out I'll say let's just go to the parking lot we'll just sit there and then maybe we'll just go in and then come out and then we'll go in and get one thing and you know you just do a couple baby steps and then they're like I can I got this I can do it so it just it sometimes it just takes a little bit to really get people over that hurdle yeah, I, and once they're over it, I think then they get some strength and belief and they're less fearful, and each time it's a little bit better. Right, right. All right, let's take a voicemail. Hey, Dr. Sophie, my name's Bill, and uh, I know you're not a sports guy, but I thought I'd call and ask. Um, I'm playing in a big golf tournament this weekend, and I just played a practice round at the course, and the greens are lightning fast, and this has never happened to me in my entire life, but I actually... I can hardly even putt because I'm so nervous about the ball going way past the hole and then when it's a short putt, about missing, you know, a three or four footer that I should never miss. And I just, I was hoping that you might know something I could at least think about or do in order to kind of help myself deal with that anxiety because I'm really going to need it or my partner's going to hate me on, on, on Saturday. So uh, thank you so much. Well, first of all, how does he know I don't like sports? Maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, interesting. He's calling from a golf course. What do you think? 
wow, there's so much, so much in that call. But did you, you hear know? his voice, how intent he is? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So how do we operate under pressure? There is an optimal level of, you know, anxiety to have. He is surpassing it. So, oh, yeah. you know, he has to bring it down. You know, a couple different thoughts. I was thinking that, first of all, thinking that his partner's going to hate him. Isn't his partner also playing well, on yeah. the same difficult green? You would think so. <laughs> but see, that's how irrational and panicky people yeah. get. That's a great example of that. So what, what about talking to your partner about how you need to, you know, are there sort of different ways to configure? I, I don't hate sports, but I don't play golf. Right. So, um bear with me. But, you know, how, how to sort of re- regroup given that the green is lightning fast um, and that put your head together, you know, with your partner about this because maybe your partner has good ideas that you haven't thought of. Maybe you have some ideas once you start actually getting into problem-solving mode. Um, the other thing is, I think, remembering that this this is about the the field or the the green, not about your ability as a player. Every everyone is going to be facing the same kinds of challenges, and so you know a lot of times when we attribute external situations to to ourselves that you know it's our flaw or something like that. Right. This sort of unnecessary baggage. This is an outlier event. This is you know he has not had experience with this before. He's going to learn how to do it but not if he's freaking out about right. it. Right. But do you think this is a, speaks to a bigger way that he may handle his life and probably has to look at that, or do you think it's just an event-focused thing? You know, I, I'm not sure about that. It, it, you know, sometimes sometimes people ha- who are really, really good copers in general, you know, anyone can have an Achilles right. heel. They may encounter something. A lot of times, too, what I find, I just had someone... Uh, the other day was talking about this where they were diving off of uh, like a, I don't know, a, a, a cliff or right. something into the water below intentionally, you know, oh, they okay. were supposed to do it. It was a good thing. It was supposed to be a good thing, but they hadn't realized that it was um, low tide. And so they just, it took longer for them to reach the water than they had been expecting. Yeah. And it really freaked them out. Ah. And so just, you know, I think he he needs to know that this is you know this is a a new situation that he's facing it's about that situation it's not about him as a player per se though it is an opportunity for him to be flexible but i think the point i was going to make there is that sort of the element of surprise can sometimes throw a good coper off the track he just he never thought that this is what was going to happen yeah, I guess. exactly and he's he's just now he needs to get back to problem solving mode got it interesting interesting all right you want to do one more sure all right hey dr sophie this is joseph with a question about um anxiety um i've been married for about 22 years and i found that at least the last seven or ten years my wife has become increasingly anxious and it's very difficult to be around when it's in high mode. She's very anxious to the point where she's kind of talking sometimes and in half thoughts. I can't quite follow her. And then if I don't follow her, she bites my head off because she says I'm not listening. But the reality is it was never said. It's not a question of not listening. Anyhow, my, my question for you is how do you deal with anxiety in a spouse? Um, and like I said, this has been getting worse over the years and... Um, it's, it's now to the point where very little will trigger 
a very anxious response, and it's going to be very difficult to live with. Uh, thanks in advance for your suggestions. Bye. Interesting. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I have a lot of empathy for, for both of them because it sounds like they're, they're both suffering, you know, for two, two sides of the same coin, really. She, you know, she's having more anxiety the last seven or ten years, and he's trying to help her and, and doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and so I just wonder if they need some help together, maybe through his, his concern and compassion for her, that he could help her to see that she needs to get some help. Um, and not that it's not a it's not a criticism at all, but uh, you know that that it's really affecting her and it's affecting their marriage, and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, and, and not to be afraid of getting help. Yeah, and maybe going with her will help her anxiety and her fear to be able to overcome that and feel safe and supported. Absolutely, it can be so helpful to have a coach right there, as yes. long as the coach knows what to do. And I think right. he just wants to know what to do. Yeah, I think so too. That's great because that's half the battle, especially in a marriage, that somebody isn't angry at their partner for whatever it is that they're displaying that triggers you, but you're willing to help and address it. Right. So tell us a little bit more about you, what you're up to before I let you go. Um, <laughs> I, I'm making progress on my cooking phobia. <laughs> my children tell me I'm a good cook. They're good. surprised when I cook, but they tell me I'm a good right. cook. Um, yeah, you know, I, I uh, have been enjoying working uh, with kids and families, and then I just wrote a, a new book this uh, past winter for adults, Freeing Yourself from Anxiety, and, you know, that caller, Mark, a little bit ago, it reminded me of just, you know, I felt like there are a lot of people dealing with uncertainty from the recession and just uncertain economic times and everything, and so that's uh, a project that was really about the kind of fear and doubt that we we all have on any given day can come up for us. So that's, yeah, I've been enjoying talking with people like you. This has been great. Oh, very nice. Thank you. So where can we find you? You have a website, your Twitter. What are you? Yeah, so uh, my website is www.tamarchansky.com. I am Freeing Your Mind on Twitter, um, and I blog on Huffington Post. Freeing Your Mind on Twitter. Okay. You guys, you got to follow this woman. She's smart. She's, her books are great. I have a couple of my patients who have already read some of them, and I will tell them to read more. And we can get them on your website? Yes. All right. www.tamarachansky.com. Thank you very much. Stay warm in the winter on the East. <laughs> Thanks so much. This has been great. And start Enjoy. cooking. Okay. Take Bye. Care. Very interesting. We had Dr. Tamar Chansky on. She's a anxiety expert out in the East on the in the Philadelphia area. She's done some really great books that I have actually seen myself and I think are great. And she has a new one that came out for adults, basically understanding and giving you great tools to dealing with anxiety that oftentimes can derail your life. We had some great calls. We had some great emails. And I think the overall message is that anxiety, anxiety disorders, in whatever way that they present themselves, whether it's in the fashion of OCD or it's generalized, I'm just worried all the time, Whatever form or fashion, there is treatment, there is help, there is all kinds of modalities to be able to support. But please address it because the biggest thing that's going to create the problem by the anxiety is the fear not to deal with it. So step up, get some help, get some support because it's out there and it's always available in many different ways. So tons of tools. you got to check it out. 
I want to thank everyone for listening, my callers for today's show. I want to remind you all that every podcast is available on my website at www.drsophie.com www.drsophie.com. You can always call me at 1-855-767-4966 or 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW, 1-855-767-4966. My book, Side by Side, the Mother-Daughter Conflict Resolution book is always available and who doesn't need that? Please follow me on Twitter and Facebook for any updates or anything that's going on that you need to know and visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up and most importantly, don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up. Oh.